Thank you, AJ. I wanted to uh, welcome you to look at your uh, bulletins, and you'll see that there's different announcements there for different ways that you can participate throughout the week. And uh, you'll also notice that in there, there's a schedule on things that go on each day of the week that uh, there's ministry here. And one thing that I wanted to point out that I, I'm sure that uh, is probably one of our best kept secrets is every morning on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning at 8.15 and every Sunday afternoon at 4.15, we have a prayer time. And so the prayer time before this service at 4.15 um, it will be a time that you can come and pray for the service that we are having each evening, but also any prayer requests that are presented to us. Uh, and even if you desire prayer, that's a time that you can come before the service at 4.15, and it meets in the coffee area. So if you go by the west entrance in that carport there, and if you haven't been in that coffee area, it's right there where the chairs are. And then on Sunday mornings, the prayer time is up in room 201. And so that would be something that we would welcome you to participate in. And because I'm talking about prayer, there also is a prayer, a special prayer request for this evening. And I would like um, a few of you that are around, uh, Keith and Barbara, please raise your hand because you're very obedient. Keith does not like to draw his uh, any attention to himself. But if I could have Jim Alsum and some of the others in that area, if you could go over there and put your hands on Keith and Barbara. Keith will be up at OHSU tomorrow for a surgery, and we are in prayer for him that he and Barbara would be well cared for, physical healing, but also that they would be encouraged. And so if some of you could go over there and, and just place your hands on Keith and Barbara, we're going to pray for them right now. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Jim and, and Luke. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you. Uh, for Keith and Barbara, we thank you that recently they've celebrated a wonderful anniversary and that they have been married and serving you for many years. And as they experience physical trial now, the cancer in uh, Keith's eye and the condition there, that you would guide the doctors um, on how to physically encourage healing in his body. But we are so thankful that Keith and Barbara both know you as personal Lord and Savior. And we know that more important than the physical tent is that we are spiritually healed and restored in the name of Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that there are other prayer requests here this evening. Lindy Schweiger, I know that she has come home now from the hospital. Pray that you would be with her and the new baby and her pneumonia. But I also just lift to you each person that's going to help Keith and Barbara drive up and down to Portland, up in Portland and back, and also all the nurses and all of the doctors that the love of Christ would just spill over Keith and Barbara's life, that they would be a wonderful testimony of what only Jesus can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for doing that and for joining us. Let's just be in prayer. This week and the next three weeks, we're, we're starting a little mini-series. And this evening, we're going to talk a little bit about the journey. And we're going to be on a journey for the next three weeks. And it's going to be a journey and how you and I are made to ministry. And so Pastor Justin and I will be team teaching together this three-Sunday mini-series, launching it today. Uh, and also, this brings up the Biblical Counseling Conference that you are all welcome to and invited to that will be October 
10th and 11th, and that is on a Friday evening and a Saturday. And if you want to get any more information on that, just let us know. We'd love to see you there because we do really believe that everyone, all of us, are made to minister in the local church. Also, we're made to minister out in the community. But it's really part of a journey. Our ministry is part of a journey, and we must identify our heart condition before we can start on that journey. And so if you would go to Jeremiah chapter 17, if you go to the uh, Old Testament, and you are working yourself from Genesis to the middle of the Bible in around Jeremiah there, you're going to see that uh, in chapter 17, we're going to focus on verses 9 and 10, and that's going to be our launching point. Do you realize that our heart is the command central for our thoughts, feelings, and actions? You and I sometimes see examples of that, like in movies, or uh, when my kids were growing up, we watched a lot of Disney movies, and it's always, you know, about the heart and the dreams in the heart, and and whether it's a young hero or it's uh, it's you know it's Rapunzel in her castle, there's something that each individual is longing for. And it's usually described as their heart. And, and how your heart is, is where your dreams come from and that you should pursue your dreams. And for a long time, what we've understood in cultures, not just our culture, but in many cultures, is this area called the heart is the place where your dreams, your will, that means the things that you want and you do, that's your will that you want to do, and then also your thinking, and then the emotions all together come out now as things that you and I choose to do or not do. And so we pursue the dreams of the heart. But it's really important as we consider how our heart is guiding us that we understand that our heart in its natural state is broken and in need of life. Like a broken compass or a car navigational system, our broken heart will lead us into aimless wandering and destruction. Will you and I let our hearts be transformed? What is guiding your heart today? What is the thing that is right now, or maybe before you came into the auditorium, what is the thing that this Friday, Saturday, Sunday has been the most captivating to you that your heart has been pursuing? Is it a relationship? Is it a relationship with a guy, girl? Maybe um, it's uh, a relationship that you've desired for a while and that individual or that job, that career or that title or that activity that is so much the center of what you are and I are longing for that you've been pursuing that. Because it's really important that we understand what's really at the center and core of our heart and what it is that we're pursuing. Because if we're not careful, we will get caught way off course. We um, have uh, three cars in our family. One's my beat up truck, 1999 Ford F-150 doesn't have a front bumper. And uh, it's the best vehicle because it really doesn't matter if it gets scratched. And all you have to do is put gas and oil in it. And then Laura has a little Mini Cooper. And the wonderful thing about that is it gets great gas mileage and it's paid off. And then we have a good car. We always have one good car that we could drive 
a far distance. So we have family in Medford, we have family at Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we want to be able to, in the weather, be able to travel in a good car. And in this last car that we had, it had a navigational system, and it's called the Eye. And on the top of the front windshield are these two eyes. And these two eyes, if you start going from this lane suddenly to this lane without putting on your blinker, it'll go beep, 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 beep. Or if you have it on cruise control and you're driving down the freeway and you catch up to traffic too quickly, it'll warn you. And then, in some cases, it'll begin even applying the brakes for you. And it's wonderful. Then we drove this car, and it started getting some mileage on there, and it got to a point where the eye stopped working all the time, and then there would be this flash on the screen, eye off. And so you get so used to this, now this computer is broken, and now the big safety feature of this vehicle no longer works. And then there's this irritating little thing that has the anti-sign, it's like, eye off. We understand that when we're looking at a car and we start seeing that they're even developing self-driving cars, and there's a few cities in the United States that have started testing these out, and so they allow these self-driving cars to navigate around the city streets only to find that some of them have then been dysfunctional and end up hitting something or someone. So then they yank them off the street and say, no self-driving cars. Do you realize that whoever or whatever rules your heart rules your life? Do you realize that? And is guiding and navigating you. Sometimes to the things that you and I think that we really want, but so often the things that the Lord is saying, warning, that's not what I would have you pursue. That's not what I would want you to so be in love of. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10 say, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Some of you uh, might actually have cardiac issues, but this is not talking about a physical heart like you've got clogged arteries or maybe you have need for a pacemaker. This is talking about the spiritual heart. This is where you and I dream, where we think about things, where we desire things, where we make decisions from. So this heart is sick, Scripture says. Who can understand it? There's so much about the heart in Scripture. He then goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. So who can understand it? Sometimes you and I don't even understand our heart accurately. And then, of course, you can't understand my heart. Can you tell what I'm thinking and what I'm desiring right now? No, you can't. But God can. And he's saying, I am the one that knows your true heart. I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind, heart and mind, the location where our emotions and our thinking and our desires are, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So you follow where your heart wants to go. I follow where my heart wants to go. And 
I go down a direction, and sometimes I veer off that main lane, and all of a sudden I find myself in a location, and I go, how did I get here? And he says, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And here is where we start having discussions and debates, and we ask questions like this. Does man have free will? Certainly he does. Man has free will. And guess what we do? We choose where our heart desires to go. We are free to choose where our sick, confused, disoriented heart wants to go. And so he gives us this freedom. And then what we find out is our deeds, it says, we find ourselves now in a scenario. We find ourselves in circumstances, relationships, and choices. And we go, this is exactly where my heart was taking me. So whoever or whatever rules your heart rules your life. And really there are then just two options. There are only two options for ruling. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, Christ rules our heart. Or self, through our own deceitful and wicked heart, self rule. There's a really great illustration that is in Luke. And if you go to Luke chapter 6, this illustration is one that Jesus gives. He is speaking to the multitudes, and he is, in this case here, uh, speaking on the Sabbath. And he um, is speaking, and then when he looks uh, at the crowds as he is um, working his way through the Beatitudes, he says in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 or 43 and following, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. But listen to this. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And what in Jeremiah was being declared, Jesus is declaring, and he's saying, that out of the fullness of my heart and your heart that is navigating us, that is the compass that's sending us out to pursue the things that are really, really important to us, will produce then a trail that is fruit, that is evident, that is sweet, wonderful fruit. Or it will be a type of evidence that is this sick, anemic, strong-willed, deceived heart. So the course we follow in our lives is determined by who rules our heart. And this is what we share when we are working with individuals or families um, that, are, that are coming to us for counsel, for discipleship, that the only thing that we now can choose then is life or death, we need Jesus. Well, sometimes we need evidence, Right? Maybe you're not really sure if this is true yet. You're like, well, I'm not so sure that my heart is really that evil. 
Pastor Carl, you don't know me. I'm not that bad. And so there's evidence. There's evidence in the Proverbs of a life that is self-ruled. Take a look at this in your notes. Is convinced he is right. Do you know when I am the most heart-led, strong-willed, is when my wife and I are arguing. And when we're arguing, I am convinced that I am right. And even when she has actually laid out the evidence and it's obvious that I'm wrong, I still continue to insist, insist that I'm right. And so sometimes I'll even say something like, okay, you're right, but there we go. Jean, you know, the evidence of a strong-willed heart, that the heart that just wants to do what it wants to do is convinced that I am right or quickly shows his annoyance. So do I, I'm just, ah, I'm just responding this way because I don't like the circumstances or the scenarios around me. Sometimes I'm hot-headed or I'm reckless. There's that, that idea, that term reckless is kind of like the veering of the lane to lane and you're on I-5 and someone all of a sudden steers violently and it's this reckless person that's bumping into other vehicles but in our lives it's other people normally. It's the relationships around us and we're bumping into other people, relationships that we say we love them but we are recklessly bumping into them and then we find ourselves there and we go, how did I get here? Sometimes the um, evidence of my heart that is pursuing things that I shouldn't is I, I'm wasting money. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, years ago, um, I was uh, working with someone that had uh, an addiction to uh, gambling. And um, the person wasn't going to a casino. And it was way before the Internet where you could just go and gamble. It, this individual had figured out that at most of the golf courses, there were poker machines there. And so he, he would go at lunchtime and, and play video po poker at the, at the, uh, at the golf courses, and, and he knew exactly where they were, only then to end up having to explain to his family where the money had gone because his heart desired the quick fix of this will, this will fix my problems, this will pay off a bill. And uh, I remember on one occasion, um, uh, this individual was coming back from um, uh, a convention that his job had um, sent him to. And, and so uh, he was coming back really late at night, like at 11 o'clock in Portland. And so um, I told his wife, because they had little kids, hey, why don't I pick him up from the airport to be nice? I thought I'd go pick him up at the airport, because you know, you've got little kids and that's really hard to go pick up your husband at 11 o'clock at night. And so he had asked me, he wanted to be accountable, you know, over his gambling issue. And so she said, oh, I know, you could drive his car because, you know, you could use his fuel and it's his company car, so drive his car. So I drive up to Portland and I'm driving up in his car and I pull along the curb and she hadn't told him that it was me and all of a sudden he gets in the car and he's like, and he thought it was going to be his wife. And he looks at me, closes the door and says, you got me. What? He was in Las Vegas. The whole time, I didn't gamble one time. But I got some silver dollars, and I couldn't resist, and I put it in a slot machine on the way into this casino one time, and I pulled the lever. 
you have a yacht? And I won a thousand dollars. And now I get into the car and it's you. And I'm like, dude, if you're really, really sorry, give me the thousand bucks. But his heart, he, he says, yeah, you know, I mean, his heart, what was his heart desiring? That's just a funny example. And, and he beat that. He beat that issue. He beat that addiction. Sometimes the evidence of a determined heart that is ruling self scorns wisdom. Just, I have that problem. Hey, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. That was a perfect phrase that I had made up when I was a kid. And I used to tell my dad, especially, and my older cousin, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. And whenever I said, don't worry, I know what I'm doing, everyone kind of just stood back and just waited for the evidence to present itself. Because it was like, if Carl said, don't worry, I know what I'm doing, there was soon-to-be failure of some type in front of me. Right? You know, it's like, oh, Carl, there he went with that. Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. I don't want any wisdom. Don't correct me. And the next thing you know is, well, doesn't Scripture speak to that, though? Pride it comes before destruction, right? Before folly. Also, my heart that is ruling me is, is also wise in my own eyes. I trust myself. And if people then come to me and, and point that out, what I, I rage and I scoff at them. But that's contrasted in Scripture to a heart that is really in love with the Lord. And so let's take a look at Galatians chapter 5. Because in the same way that Jesus is speaking of two types of trees, one that is producing one type of fruit and the other that is producing the other type of fruit, and in Jeremiah, God is describing someone that then is freed up by God to make decisions, and then now we make our decisions, and then we find our deeds, and where we're at, the alternative is to have a God, Christ-ruled heart. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, there is evidence of a Christ-ruled heart as well. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And we, we now relieve ourselves, we release ourselves to the Spirit of God to control our heart. And the evidence starts pouring out, but then now as we are traveling, the evidence there is that then I'm on the right path. And then someone can also look at this individual. It can hopefully look at us and go, that is the evidence of someone that is being led by a love for something or someone that is a lot different than what you and I then have the opportunity to share is this. I understood where my sick heart was leading me. I placed my faith in Jesus, and now he is, what, giving me a new heart and I'm in the process of now transformation, and anything that you see in the trail of evidence that is the fruit of my heart is because of what Christ has done in me and is doing in me, because now this is a process that you and I now 
are agreeing with the Lord and saying, yes, Lord, I love you. I love your ways. In Psalm 119, there's a couple of portions of scripture. In Psalm 119, the longest psalm, in one Psalm 119, verse 127, it says, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Now, who here would not like some gold? It reminds me uh, of an account that I once um, was taught that then uh, proved to actually be a historical account. There was an individual who was an English private privateer, sailor. So that really was a fancy name for pirate. He was a legal pirate. Sir Martin was his name. And so the difference between a pirate that's an illegal one and a pirate that's a legal one is the legal pirate, Sir Martin, was authorized by ruling people, queens and kings, to go out and explore to conquer lands, and to bring back money. And so Martin, the legal pirate, first did some mining in Canada. And at this time, everyone, like in many points of human history, there was a, a, a hunger and a pursuit for gold. And if you look at the historical charts, of human civilization, you will see that there are times where there are these gold rushes. Like I was born in San Francisco, and a real famous gold rush was in 1949, or in, was in uh, 18, 1749, the year of that. I was born in 1969, so it couldn't be in 1949. And you see that there are these times where historically human beings are pursuing things like El Dorado, And so he is sent off across the ocean to Canada, and he gets really excited when he finds out that there's this sparkly black rock that he found on an island in his first voyage to the New World. So he got really excited. He went back, and then he returned in 1577 because the queen had authorized him and given him lots of money to be able to to ship and go and sail vessels to this location in Canada that he would get lots of gold. And it was a gold rush. Sometimes people call it gold fever. And so he began shipping back gold, 200 tons of ore. He shipped back 1,400s 1,400 tons of ore in July and August of 1577 alone in two months. When I was in Haiti, um, the most prized possession in Haiti is a little motorbike because um, it's inexpensive relatively to buy, a little moped or motorcycle compared to a car. And since fuel is so expensive and there's always shortages, you could go long distances And so I would meet lots of uh, young guys, and, you know, I'm like, hey, so what are you about? What are you doing? Oh, I'm working. What? I want to get a motorcycle. That is their dream. And so I had looked up online, how much does a motorcycle weigh? And and I kind of multiplied it, and it was something like 
worth of gold. And all of the Haitian guys are like, wow, that's, that's, that's huge. That many motorcycles, I would be that rich. And thinking you're in con- your economy, what is it that the most draws your attention, that that would be, that would be wealth, that would be your desire to accumulate that? Is it Big Macs? Is it shoes? I remember that there's been a couple of different times that I've seen uh, in articles these famous athletes, and there's a couple of guys that have the, like the biggest shoe collection, and they have rooms and closets made for their shoes. And so Sir Martin starts shipping back all of this gold to the queen, and then when they did their original test, they did find some gold in the original, the original bit that he brought back, but it was five and 14 parts per billion. Like a little bit of gold there. And so he's shipping back all of this gold only to find out that it's what we call now fool's gold. A queen. She desires power and gold and she sends Sir Martin and says, yeah, you take the ships. You, you go and they're exploring and they're bringing it back and in two months alone they bring back just like a hundred thousand scooters worth of gold in the weight. So sometimes you and I, we're like that. We pursue the things that we desire most. We find ourselves in that place and now we have the gold. And we realize it doesn't meet the need that I thought it was going to meet. It doesn't satisfy the hunger. So God wants us to understand our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and what's the solution. And we'll be talking more about this in Made to Minister. We recognize, we repent, and we replace. Take a look. There's a chart in your notes there. And you're going to see it up on the overhead. I recognize what? My thoughts and actions. What do I need to put off? It says here, let all bitterness, all envy, what are the things that I recognize that my heart is leading me to that I need to say, I recognize it and now I need to what? Put it off and we call that repentance. We call that turning our direction. We say, I'm going to change direction and if I'm now going to change direction, the only way that I can really now start in this new direction is that I have a great love of God and a great love of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So I have to recognize that my heart is sinful, my heart is broken, and that the only solution is Jesus. There's a little song we used to sing when I was a kid. And it would say, part of the phrase was, all else is sinking sand. Christ on the solid rock I stand. But everything else is what? Sinking sand. And maybe you've been on the beach before. And you're right there where the surf is coming in. You know, it's maybe about this much water and you stand there. And if you stand there long enough and the waves come and go and come and go, where you're standing, you're 
be slowly eroded and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you got to step back because the sand is being pulled out. Anything else, if I don't recognize my need for a transformed heart is going to be pulled out right from under me. So I recognize that, I repent of that, and repenting is a process that is simultaneous to faith. I believe in Jesus, and as I believe in Christ, for this transformation, we call it sometimes, you know, uh, getting saved. I was once lost, but I'm now saved. And I start heading the other direction, and this direction is where love of God is leading me instead of love of self. Instead of ruling self, Christ is ruling me. And then it is only then that I can truly now replace the fruit that's coming from my life. Have you ever tried to really be good? You know, you've got a hang-up. There's some pattern of sin or some habit that you have, and you go, I am determined I'm not going to do that anymore. And you try really hard, and you're determined, and then you fail again, and you go, oh, I did it again. And then you find yourself in that pattern. And if you and I find ourselves in that type of pattern, the first thing we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, have I really truly recognized my heart? Have I now truly placed my faith in Christ, and am I repenting in a way that now I am replacing the old fruit that, that story that I kept on repeating, that place I keep on finding myself, and now I replace it with the evidence of a heart that pursues God. And it's not now behaving so that I can be loved by God or behaving so that I can be saved. It's being saved through faith and repenting and now letting the, the Spirit of God produce real love of God and fruit in my life that is the evidence of a genuine salvation in my life. Have you replaced then love of self with love of Christ? Have you now understood that it isn't about changing your behavior or somehow trying to work hard to be good, but that it is that you and I have this heart that is inside of us, that is in such need of healing, transformation, salvation, that it is when then we love Christ with our whole heart that then now obedience and fruit can come from that. So my hope is that you've understood that to the point that you are seeing this evidence in your own personal life. And then we have now the opportunity that someone is going to catch you doing good. You know, instead of being caught being bad, someone can catch you doing good. And there's this pattern of your life and this fruit of your life, and someone goes, that's different. That's different from how I knew you. Or that's different from the world. It looks different. It isn't the same. There's something different about you. And then you have an opportunity to share in that love of Jesus, the one who perfectly loved us. That while you and I were still in this state of a diseased, broken, and sinful heart that went to the cross for us, 
Let's close in prayer and let's live in a way that demonstrates our love for God and that we would have evidence in our lives. Lord, I come to you and I thank you. I thank you for each opportunity that we have to consider how it is that you have made things right. When we were in rebellion, when we were determined to live our will, your son came and not, not just died on the cross, but resurrected so that he might demonstrate his power over sin and death and that he might then be able to give eternal life. We thank you that you are so patient with us. And I pray that if there is anyone here this evening that has found themselves in patterns again, uh, and it is for the very first time that they need salvation through Jesus, or if we all are collectively um, children of God because we placed our faith and we find ourselves sometimes manifesting this prideful heart, this stubborn heart, that we would see that right then and there we could recognize our heart's trait, that we could repent of it, and that we could replace it with the wonderful fruit that comes. Not false gold, not fool's gold, but real substance that only you can produce in our lives. And I pray this and thank you for this opportunity that we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here this evening. Stick around if you would. Fellowship a little bit.